This morning we're talking about uh, shepherds and sheep, and um, there's this dominance in the Christian tradition of Jesus being pictured as the good shepherd. You might have seen some of these pictures, and we're going to put something up here. Actually, the earliest uh, depiction of Jesus in art, um, this isn't the absolute earliest, but it's the kind of the highest quality one that you'd be able to see and kind of tell what it is. But the earliest depiction of Jesus in art is actually as a shepherd. Um, so this is from the third century that's found in catacombs in Rome. And, uh, and there's a couple of ones that are a little bit earlier than this one um, that are still kind of Jesus with a, with a sheep on his shoulders. Um, so pretty amazing that it's that early on. The other thing is that, uh, that really this idea of the flock, of us being the flock and Jesus being the shepherd, is, uh, has just been so uh, influential in the whole way the church is even structured. Um, so when you think about pastor that's, uh, and pastoral care, um, that's from that imagery. Um, so when you think of, uh, of those things, um, that's what that means. So when you see pastor in the Bible, that's actually shepherd. That's the word shepherd. Um, so it's hugely influential. Um, there's also frequent use of the term shepherd in the Old Testament. Um, we have God is depicted as the shepherd of his people Israel. Um, but it's not just used for God, it's also for the king, um, for other leaders are talked about as shepherds. In particular, we think of King David, who was himself a shepherd. Um, now, what's interesting, if we can look at the, the next one too, this is maybe a little more familiar to us, it's from the 19th century, and this is kind of what I think we sort of picture Jesus is this kind, gentle shepherd with the sheep on his shoulders with the little lamb in his arms, and uh, isn't that wonderful? Um, and uh, and that's kind of what we what we picture, I think, with Jesus as shepherd. Um, but we'll go to the last image, and this is what we'll leave up. It's just some picture of sheep, because that's us. That's who we're supposed to be. The thing is, the original image of this uh, sheep and shepherd is really foreign to us. You know, I, how many of you are shepherds here? Or, you know, we don't have a lot of shepherds in, uh, in our congregation. It's zero, it looks like. Um, it's so foreign to us. And, and because of this being foreign to us, we will read something like the beginning of John chapter 10, like those first five verses, and we'll think Jesus is just doing some revolutionary, amazing teaching here, and he's not. Because Jesus is just saying what everybody knew. Jesus just says what absolutely everybody knew about shepherds and sheep in his own time, because shepherds and sheep were everywhere in Jesus' time. He says, here's what we know about shepherds and sheep. And the reason he just says this, 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 this is actually why everyone misses his point. The, the listeners initially missed his point, or more accurately, his points, because Jesus doesn't just have one point in this. In verse 6, after he's described sort of, this is how sheep and shepherds work, Verse 6 says, Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You see, John even had to tell his first readers that Jesus was using a figure of speech, because even the first readers of John would have just read this and thought, oh, right, okay. But Jesus is using a figure of speech, or in the Greek, this is the same word for proverb, or a wisdom saying, or even the word parable, which it's important to note that this is not an analogy. An analogy is when you've got a one-to-one -one correspondence between something that a symbol and reality. And no matter what you do with this passage, there are not any neat 
one-to-one correlations. Jesus uses what is called multivalent imagery, which means you've got a symbol that has multiple meaning, multiple potential meanings. And if you read through most of Jesus' parables, this is what they are. Um, you don't just always, sometimes you have a one-to-one correlation, an analogy, but most of the time you've got multivalent images, where one image can mean two or ten different things, potentially. And Jesus was a master at using this kind of teaching. And, and what's neat about this teaching is that it's really confusing, it's often surprising, but it's really captivating. It kind of just draws you in because you start to wonder, what is Jesus doing? And as soon as you think you figured it out, he switches something around on you and draws you in further. You either, uh, I think uh, a few weeks ago, some of us were uh, went to a conference uh, oh, last weekend. Last weekend, when we went to a conference, we heard a speaker called Leonard Sweet. And Leonard Sweet talked about how Jesus often would provoke questions from the people who were listening. And Jesus' teaching would do one of two things. It would either drive people away, as in they'd kind of give up, oh, that's too hard or too difficult, I'm out of here. Or they'd be intrigued and come further and start asking questions. And that was kind of how Jesus taught. Now, we actually have to go back to the previous chapter to, to get a sense for what is going on in this chapter of John. And in that previous chapter, Jesus heals a blind man. And that happens in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 9. But the, and the rest of it, he just does that. It's very quick. He says, uh, he makes mud, puts the mud on his eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He goes and washes, and then he can see. That takes two verses, but the chapter is 41 verses long. And the, chap, the rest of the chapter is just about the controversy that surrounds this healing that he does. So what happens is, at first, the people, when they see the healing, the people ask, is this really the blind beggar? Like, is this really the man? And the man keeps saying, I am the man. I'm the one. And they ask, well, so how did this happen? And he says, well, Jesus put mud on my eyes and told me to wash it off, and then I could see. And they said, we've got to take this guy to the Pharisees. Because, like, is this right? Like, we don't know what's going on. So they take him to the Pharisees, who, the Pharisees were people who were often uh, experts in religion, essentially. And as soon as they go to the Pharisees, John gives us a little clue and says, and it was a Sabbath. So, you know, uh oh, we're in trouble here because, you know, looks like something, uh, some work has been done on the Sabbath, like the work of making mud um, out of dirt has been done on, on the Sabbath. We're in big trouble here. A healing is happening on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are not going to be happy about this, and they're not happy about it. And the Pharisees ask, well, how did this happen? Like, how did you go from being blind to having your sight to tell us? This guy, Jesus, he made some mud, he put it on my eyes, told me to go wash, I washed it off, and then I could see. And the Pharisees said, let's get his parents. Let's get his parents. And question them. And the Pharisees question the parents, and they say, don't ask us. Like, if he's of age, ask him. In other words, we're kind of afraid that we're going to be in trouble with you, so it's all on him. We didn't do anything. We have nothing to do with this. Ask him. So that's how that goes. Then the Pharisees bring the man in again after questioning the parents and said, tell us again, how, how did this happen? And the man's response basically is, I've already told you. Why do you want to know? Is it because you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> and they get really mad at that. They say, we're disciples of Moses, but we don't know where this man Jesus comes from. And he says, you don't? 
I was blind, and now I see. If he wasn't from God, he could do nothing. You know what the Pharisees did? Did you presume to teach us? And the text says, and they drove him out. And the implication is not just that they drove him out of their presence, but they drove him out of the community. And then this is the end of chapter 9. Jesus heard that they'd driven him out. And when he found him, in other words, you hear that? Jesus heard that they'd driven him out, and he went and found him. Jesus heard they driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. The man said, What did the man say? Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter by the sheepfold, who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. Oh, we're in chapter 10 now, by the way. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees when he says what he says in John chapter 10. And to anyone else who's listening in as well, right? But he's calling the Pharisees what? Thieves and bandits. Pharisees had religion and God and all of life figured out. It was in a nice, neat little box for them. And they enforced it on the people. They had the rules that governed it all. And Jesus calls them thieves and bandits. Now, he doesn't actually make it that easy for his listeners to understand what he's saying. He piles on other images. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take some of the imagery that Jesus uses and then read that back into what he highlights in these first five verses about shepherding life. So the rest of, of what we heard basically is this. So Jesus again said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I am that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is surprising. What, what did Jesus say that he is? I am the gate. He doesn't start with, I am the shepherd, or I am the good shepherd, does he? He starts with, I am the gate. That's kind of surprising to me. I remember Jesus as the shepherd. We don't have a lot of pictures of Jesus being a gate. I mean, that's hard to 
paint, I guess. The, the sheepfold is this, this fenced area. Right? It has one gate. And it's where we had the, the sheep were kept at night. The fold provided safety against wild animals. If you're a sheep, though, life in a sheepfold is not really life. There's no food in the fold. There's no beautiful pasture. There's no streams of water. There's no Psalm 23. That's what we sung. We sung Psalm 23, most of us. <laughs> There's no Psalm 23 in the fold. It's all outside the fold. And if you're a sheep, there are two ways out of a sheepfold. Through the gate or by being stolen. When a bandit breaks into the sheepfold, their intent, intent is to steal, kill, and destroy. As a sheep, you get out of the pen, but you're not getting life. You're doomed. Better to be let out of the pen through the gate. Jesus is the gate through which you go to get the green pasture, the streams of refreshing water. Jesus is the gate through which you go to receive life. And there are all kinds of things trying to steal you out of the fold. I mean, Jesus' time kind of pointed at the Pharisees and said, they're really thieves and bandits. I'm the gate that you go through. We don't have Pharisees around today. But there are all kinds of things trying to steal you out of the fold. But only if you go through Jesus will you find abundant life. It's a powerful image, isn't it? It's a salvation image. Jesus says, whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. It's going to be great and beautiful and wonderful. True, abundant life if you go through the gate. In verse 8, he says, All who came before me were thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. It's important to note here that he's not talking about, you know, Abraham and Moses and the prophets. And all. He's not meaning all of them that came before me. Elsewhere, Jesus and John holds them up as examples, as ones to listen to, and he insists that if people were listening to, to Moses properly, they would also be listening to him. What he's doing is he's talking about the religious authorities of his own day. They are the thieves and bandits. They break into the fold to take and use the sheep for their own purposes. Use the people to bolster their own position and their own power. Do we have anything like that in our lives? He tries to use us to bolster their own position and their own power. I mean, most of advertising, that's what they're trying to do. Trying to get us to buy their things so that they make their money. Use the people to bolster their own position, their own power. That's what's breaking in. But the sheep did not listen to them, Jesus says. The problem is, is that some people did listen to them. Lots of them did. I mean, in fact, when they got the man who was born blind and even healed, the first thing that people did was, oh, let's go talk to the Pharisees. So what does Jesus mean? I think he meant that the people who listen to the thieves and the bandits, they aren't sheep. Because the sheep listened. 
The sheep didn't listen to the thieves and bandits. So anyone who listened to the thieves and bandits can't be sheep. Anybody know that song, I Just Want to Be a Sheep? Anybody remember that? I went that way as a little kid. I just want to be a sheep. Anybody know that one? No. Okay, there's this children's, there's this children's song. There's a couple of people. I don't even sing the whole thing. But basically, you just kind of repeat that line over and over again. I just want to be a sheep. There's verses about how you don't want to be a Pharisee. But I'm not sure I do want to be a sheep. That's always the problem I have with that song. I don't know if I want to be a sheep. Sheep are not particularly smart animals. They're really stupid. All you do is follow your shepherd around all the time. I mean, you're totally dependent on this shepherd for protection, for provision for your entire life. I don't want to be dependent. I want to be independent. I have my life, and I want to live my way. I don't want to be a sheep. And I think Jesus is saying here that the model for life is to be a sheep. The blind man was a sheep. And they asked, you know, they were looking for the complicated answer. Like, how did this happen? What went on? Were you really the man before life? I said, oh, I know, I was blind, and now I see that. And I took some mud and washed, washed my face, and then I could see. I, so I believe. Well, it wasn't particularly complicated for the blind. Churches are great at making it complicated. Preachers are great at making it complicated. And Jesus told the Pharisees that because they claimed they could see, they were sinners. If they had admitted that they were blind, Jesus said, then he wouldn't have sinned. Because he probably would have put some mud on them and told them to go wash, and they too would have been given new eyes, and they would have said, wow, this is amazing. What does that have to do with sheep and shepherds? Well, if you think you're more than a sheep, if you think you're independent and your life is your own, then you are a prime candidate to be taken by the thieves and the bandits. But if you embrace being a sheep, then you know what? You're only going to respond to the voice of your shepherd. Because when we think we're independent, that's actually when we're at the greatest risk. When we claim and, and, and take our dependency on Jesus, then he is the one watching over us and protecting us. I, mean, I would rather trust Jesus, I'd rather trust the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with my life than I, than, than I trust myself. I, you know, I like to think I'm a little smarter than a sheep, but I don't like to think I'm as smart as God. If you embrace being a sheep, then you will only respond to the voice of the shepherd. And you will only ever come in and go out through the gate. You will be led to abundant life. Being a sheep, it's just like being that blind man. When we know we're blind without Jesus, then we get our sight from him. 
When we know we need Jesus, then our life gets put in its proper order. We enter into true abundant life through Jesus. He is the gate through which we go to receive abundant life. And Jesus also said, I am the good shepherd. Not only is he the gate, not only do we enter into life through him, he is also the one who leads us to life. See, it's not like Jesus is just an entry point. Sometimes we treat him that way. Oh, I believe in Jesus, and now I'm okay. He's not just an entry point, but Jesus also guides us along the way. The, the gate is the beginning. Right? The, the entry into Jesus, or through Jesus, is the beginning. Only he will guide you to the pasture, to the water. Jesus is both things. He's both the way to life and the guide along the way to life. Once you embrace being a sheep, you're embracing that you are supposed to go through that gate to the pastures and the water for abundant life. And once you are a sheep, then it's a matter of listening to the voice of the shepherd, to listening to Jesus. As a sheep, you will run from the bandit or the thief when you hear their voices. It's because their voices are not the voice of the shepherd. Sheep do not know the voice of strangers. And if you embrace being a sheep, you'll start to recognize Jesus' voice because he is no longer a stranger to you. You're his sheep. This isn't, I don't think this is particularly hard for us to understand, but, but I think it, it can be hard to do. Because it means putting yourself below Jesus. This is maybe where someone who hasn't spent a lot of time in church has a bit of an advantage, actually. Or where someone, someone who isn't sure whether they believe in Jesus they're kind of at an advantage over, over people who've been saying they believe in Jesus for a long time. Because this, it, this, what I'm talking about, is core to Christianity, and Christians are notorious for not living it out. Christians are notorious for saying we believe in Jesus, but not actually living as though Jesus is Lord. Some Christians are terrible and living like sheep with Jesus as shepherd. Because we're terrible at giving up control of our lives to somebody else. If Jesus is Lord, that means that I am not. I'm a sheep. I'm a follower. I'm not in control. Jesus is. And people in the church have heard all of this before, and yet we still please ourselves in how we live a lot of the time. The non-Christian or the one who's unsure, when they do decide to follow Jesus, the change is often dramatic. Because they realize how big of a change it is. They actually let Jesus impact the decisions they make and the way they live their life. Wow! They actually do that? Really? I mean, am I doing that or not? I mean, people who make that dramatic change and, and, and actually consciously say, okay, if this is what it means, then okay, I'm in, I'm in. I'll let Jesus be my Lord. I'll let Jesus be my shepherd. 
actually stop living for themselves and instead live for Jesus. They actually believe that Jesus is the one leading them. See, what the Christian has to do, the Christian has to re-enter through the gate. Re-hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and relearn what it is to follow. And we have to do this over and over again over our life. It doesn't stop. But I think it all starts with an admission that you are a sheep and you need a shepherd, that you are blind and you need your sight restored by him. The more you can remember to whom you belong and who you are in relation to God, the easier it is to hear what Jesus is saying. The easier it is to hear, the easier it is to follow. The Good Shepherd image is so great because it's about listening to Jesus to not only obey him, it's about listening to Jesus in order to follow him and where he's going. Obedience to Jesus is really important, and I think God asks us to do things, and we should do them. But our primary stance is not as someone who's carrying out orders that come down from on high. Right? It's not that God is just saying, okay, do this, and then we've got to do it. Jesus goes ahead of us as the shepherd. Listening to him is actually about listening to him calling us by name so that we know that it's him, we know it's the shepherd, and we can sense what direction he's going, and we can follow him. He's already going ahead of us. And we can trust him. We may not know always where he's leading, but we trust that as the good shepherd, he, he's going to find the pasture for us. Right? It's not that there's been some order, okay, you, you need to go and find the pasture. And make sure that you take three friends with you, because we're going to do evangelism now. You know, like that's not what God is doing. He finds it for us, or gives it to us. Leads us there. Our listening is to listen to know that it's Him, so that we can follow Him. And it, you know, it's such an awesome life with, with Jesus. It's humbling. Because there's no way to predict how he's going to lead or where you'll end up. It's not about hearing Jesus' voice so that you can, you can somehow get the secret to life. You know, it's not, it's not that. It's about relationship with him. I'm just going to close um, to, just to give you a bit of an illustration. Uh, about my relationship with, uh, with Juliet, my daughter and my relationship with uh, other kids, okay? Uh, I really love my daughter. You know, you're supposed to love everyone. I, I don't, I, I'm sorry to say, I don't like other kids as much as I like, like my daughter, right? Is that, that's not a surprise to anybody? I don't know. Um, when I talk to my daughter, you know, she'll talk back to me, and whatever reason, other three, four-year-olds tend not to do that with me. I don't know if I'm scary or if there's a couple of them, but... Her and I can have a conversation for an hour. No problem. Because there's a relationship, right? Now, when I come home, uh, you know, if, if she's home when I, when I get home and if she's awake and all that kind of stuff, when I come home, Juliet will immediately say something like this. She'll say, hi, Daddy, I'm coloring pictures of princesses. Or, hi, Daddy, I'm painting. Or, I'm putting puzzles together, or I'm playing with dollies, or we're, uh, we're watering the plants, or whatever she's doing, immediately she tells me what she's doing. 
unless there's one time that's the exception to this. Okay, let me guess, besides Cheryl, but the exceptions. When she's watching TV. <laughs> then I walk in and maybe, maybe a quarter of the time I'll get a hi daddy. <laughs> but a lot of times I have to go up and pause the TV and, and you know, cajole a hug out of her or something like that. So, but it's interesting um, that I'm invited into her activity. Uh, unless she's watching TV. God comes into our life, and a lot of time we're watching TV. And sometimes literally, right? Sometimes figuratively, right? But, but we're kind of treating life like that. We're just kind of watching things go by. And we aren't particularly involved. You know, imagine if we also talk to God the way my daughter talks to me. Imagine if we invited God into our activity. God, I'm studying. Jesus, I'm writing a thank you to a friend. God, I'm heading off to work. God, I'm going to that important meeting. Or God, I'm going to a party or a concert. Or God, I'm cleaning the house. Jesus, I'm visiting my friend who is sick. Come with me. Imagine if that was our relationship. Imagine if we invited God into our lives. Imagine if we had a relationship like that where we desired to share our life with God. And imagine if we remembered that God has the desire to share his life with us. Because the real time in my relationship with my daughter is, that, is, is when I actually get a bit creative. Or I have an idea of something we can do. Like, hey, let's go to the zoo. Or today we're going to go and get ice cream from the best ice cream place in the city. And you've never done that before. I'm going to show it to you. Today we're going to go to a new swimming pool. Today we're going to go visit a park that has this beautiful river and great garden. And sometimes an idea like that grabs a four-year-old, and then sometimes it doesn't, and she doesn't want to go. But you can make a four-year-old go. <laughs> and you know that she's going to have fun. No matter what we do, it's almost always great. This is how God is with us, but we miss it. And we aren't four-year-olds, so he doesn't make us go. God invites. God is always in See, God, I'll talk about sending a lot, God sends us, but God is alongside us in the center, or he's in front of us, right? God is always inviting. And God invites, I think, kind of like this. Hey, I'm loving your neighbors. I'm feeding the hungry. I'm visiting the lonely. I'm forgiving your enemy. Come on, do it with me. And we don't think that way. But Jesus, the good shepherd, wants that relationship with you. When you admit that you need him, that you are indeed a sheep, then you start to hear him call you by name and you can start to follow. And the more steps you take behind him, the more you see the hand of God in your life. It's beautiful and wonderful. It's like green pastures, rolling streets. It's an abundant table, set before it's like an overflowing cup. All because you claim the Lord is my ship, and I'm one of the sheep. Amen.